Hello, and you're very welcome to The Week That Really Was with John McGurk and Sarah Ryan. It is the 25th of May. It is the day after Ron DeSantis announced his candidacy for President of the United States. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. I am still overseas. Uh, Sarah, you're back in Ireland, and we're recording this a little bit later because you had a bit of a rough day, I understand. I did. Um, not for me, but for my little boy. He's um, six, and he, um, well, he's fine, but he um, started experiencing quite bad hearing loss a few months ago, and um he um, needed grommets and he needed adenoids and whatever. And he was referred, brought to the GP and then referred to a consultant and the consultant wanted to do the operation. So for the first time ever today, I saw the Hermitage private hospital because he's covered as a child for free under my VHI. And um, my God, John, is it fancy rolling fields as you drive in. It's like something in America. And it just makes you wonder, why can't we get it together to have this kind of level or even half or a quarter or a tenth of that level anywhere else? So first of all, I want to ask you, you say his hearing loss. I mean, I presume for the first while, I mean, I know you're he, he's quite a young, I won't say his age, but I know he's quite young. For the first while, did you just assume that he was selectively not hearing you? I mean, how does that Oh, yeah, I thought he was just, I thought he was just being a brat walking out of the room, whatever. And then I started to notice it. And then he had a couple of ear infections. He had a burst eardrum and stuff. Whoa. And um then I mentioned to the t- to the teacher that I was concerned, and then the teacher obviously paid more attention to it, and then came back to me a week later and was like, "Yeah, he can't hear a thing." So that was That's scary. I know, and um, luckily he's a bit older because like it can affect their speech if they're younger. But mm-hmm. um, it's all sorted out as of today, and I think as far as I know, if he wasn't covered on my H- on my VHI, um, he would have been waiting long, long, long time. Well, I can like hear N- the com- I can I can actually I can hear the comments now because this is Ireland and there's a bit of this about unfortunately. Like I can hear the people saying, "Oh, dwell for you has health insurance." Um, yeah. So, is, is I'm going to ask you outright: Is this this Hermitage place? Which I'm, I'm going to write this down, the Hermitage, because it sounds like my kind of spot. Uh, <laughs> if I get sick, because I've been to University Hospital Limerick, and I said to my wife at the time, "If I am on my deathbed, I'll die in yeah. I'll die in my deathbed." rather than going yeah. there and die. And that's no comment on the very fine people who work in that hospital. They're, they're wonderful staff doing their best in awful circumstances, but the circumstances are so bad that I would rather go somewhere else. So yeah. is it is it out of my uh, price range? No, I think, I think, I don't even know, like uh, I'd have to look at the policy because I contacted them during the week to make sure that this was all covered. And it was, I think that it's just certain, certain procedures in certain hospitals. Like I think the Hermitage does, does stents does mostly adult stuff it's just that the consultant that i went to has a, pe- a small pediatric element to his he's an ent obviously um in there but i think it just depends on your policy what hospitals like i wouldn't be covered for blackrock clinic for example for anything i don't think and mm. um, so it just depends but like i went to beaumont a couple of years ago do you remember it was on i tweeted about it because i ended up pulling the drip out and leaving when i got mm-hmm. quincy and quincy is a complication of tonsillitis where you get an abscess in the back of your throat which has to be lanced open and um in emergency because you can't breathe it was lanced open i was given a bucket to spit into and i was told to like wait there and you'll get a bed and 19 hours later i was still sitting in the same chair spitting into that bucket and i just left so like the as far as i'm concerned like the health system is broken and, um, you know, I like I went privately to have my children in Hollis Street and my first child in particular, um, that private stay in the hospital was covered by a, a policy that cost me 60 euro a month. So I appreciate that people will say it's well for you, but that 60 euro a month was worth it to me. And yeah. like 
I, I like I don't I don't want my child to not be able to hear for two years in school while we wait for a broken system to remember that he exists. Thanks very much. So I prioritize it. I know everyone can't afford it, but I don't think that it's a waste of money in a country where people are left sitting. I mean, honestly, I t- had two experiences actually in Beaumont and John, I'd rather die in my bed than go back there ever again. And as you say, quite rightly, absolutely nothing to do with the staff, everything to do with the accessibility, waiting for hours, nonsense muppets in the waiting room with the cold, chaos, drunks. It's like hell. It's literally like hell. And so, you know, obviously... <clears throat> health insurance is out of affordability for everyone but it was it was worth it and the hermitage is I couldn't get over to be honest two thumbs up yeah I'd yeah. never heard of it actually until you, you mentioned it before we came on air uh, this place because I have been to the Galway Clinic um, which is another great place and the Beacon on one occasion I, I'm, I'm fortunate in that I don't have that many hospital stays and hopefully won't have many for many years to come but uh, but yeah, the, those I have had, I mean, the, the health insurance I have, which is not dissimilarly priced to yours. I mean, I just say to anybody in this country, if you can afford it, get it. Because when you need it, uh, it's so important to, 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 to know that you will have access. And if you need some treatment, you're going to get it. Because for all the tax we pay, and we'll talk a little bit about the tax we pay in a little while um, in the context of this week's farce. Yeah, you know, the, the, which, you don't which, get services. Which farce and in particular? I think we have a lot of listeners <laughs> talking about the 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 tax cost thing. There's um, so much choice, John. There is, and we're going to talk about. It. There's, there's more we'll talk about. Yeah. Um, but I think we have a lot of listeners on this on this podcast who who are kind of who are who are not dissimilar to us. We're not. Neither of us are, are. I think very wealthy people. We're both sort of middle income people. We both pay a lot of tax on our income. We um, have had mortgages, suffering with interest rates, all that sort of stuff. And you're just trying to get ahead. And the government is taking a big chunk of your salary. And then when you actually need a service, like the health service, uh, it's not there. You're sitting on a trolley. You're sitting in a waiting room. On, on uh, The thing that always gets me about the health service is how unpleasant they make it. So even a small thing like these waiting rooms have these really hard, uncomfortable plastic chairs. So that if you are going to be sitting there for eight hours, they make it as uncomfortable as possible. I mean, if I was health minister on day one, the first thing I would do with the health service, because I, I know I wouldn't be able to fix, the, fix the waiting lists very quickly. People might think this is crazy, but I think it would make a huge difference. Would be to invest a couple of million out of a twenty billion budget in making the waiting areas in hospitals much nicer and more comfortable than they are. I think that would make a vast difference. It's the kind of small thing that any private company would do. Um, you said today when you went to the Hermitage that they had nice lawns, nice buildings, well lit. It was a pleasant enough place to be if you have to spend a few hours. Our public hospitals, they're more like prisons in some cases in terms of the waiting areas. I think that's a a very simple thing that some politician could make their priority that would make people's experiences of the health service just that little bit better. But but there's no imagination to do it. All the money goes on um, more reviews and process reviews and all the usual nonsense that doesn't actually make the service any better for those who are actually experiencing it. Yeah. And also, well, on the chairs, what I found really interesting is that last time when I was in Beaumont, when I was in Beaumont for 18 hours on a chair, and I remember it because you can actually go on a website, I can't remember it now, and see how many people are on trolleys in a hospital Mm -hmm. at any given time. But those chairs don't count as trolleys Mm -hmm. because I remember looking at it and it was like, oh, there's only 15 people waiting on trolleys in that hospital. And I was like looking around being like, there's like 30 people here in the way in the A&E are all sitting on chairs who've been here 
in various different for various different reasons. So like, because I remember thinking, why can't you just make the chairs lie flat even? Like, why can't I not lie down? You know, mm -hmm. I had to sit upright on this plastic thing. And I think it's because at a certain point they're worried it'll start counting as another trolley. <laughs> Probably. Anyway. Probably. Anyway, the health minister is making um, big strides this week into improving yeah. the health of the nation. He has announced, Sarah, that from 2026, when you open, I don't know if you're a wine o'clock gal. I don't think you're the type. But if you're a wine o'clock gal, when you open your wine on a Friday evening, there'll be calorie warnings on the front of the bottle to let you know how fat it's going to make you when you drink it. And this apparently is to just, just uh, the idea is to make us all that little bit aware or more aware that alcohol is bad for us. So, so you must have been delighted when you heard that. First of all, as if we don't know. Second of all, as you said during the week, making a problem to fix that isn't a problem so that we can be distracted from all the massive problems that exist in this country that you're not doing anything about, like the health service. Like Stephen Donnelly, a few months ago, for example, my sister is a doctor and when you're a doctor and she was doing a paediatric rotation, so you go from hospital to hospital and you spend like three months in different hospitals or whatever. And every time you move, so you might go from um, Carlo to Galway to whatever and every time you move hospital you get you, you're put into a whole new payroll system when you move and you're emergency taxed for the first six weeks of the new move so when you move to another place look for accommodation you're also getting emergency taxed and this is the problem that's been going on for years and I turned on the radio one day to hear Stephen Donnelly congratulating himself about how they'd fixed that problem and like I said this before but like that's not a problem. That should have been an email that you sent eight years ago. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Or whatever. Like, it's not something to be on the radio announcing. It's not an announcement. I, I'm going to be I'm going to be more scathing than you because I, I've had it up to here with them. I, I really have. I mean, I said a couple of years ago, I wrote a piece that was very popular when Simon Harris was Minister for Health. And I said, the problem in this country is that we have appointed as Minister for Health a guy who at that time it was, I think, 29 years of age, had never mm -hmm. run anything. If he applied to be the manager of a Tesco, your local Tesco in, in Malahide, in your case, or Nina, in my case, he'd be rejected on grounds of having inefficient experience, insufficient experience. Um, he might get a job on the checkout. And we put him in charge. Our political system put him in charge of an organization that is larger than NASA and said, you run that now. And then we're surprised we get bad results. In the case of Stephen Donnelly, I mean, all I can say about that man is that he should ask Harvard for their money back. Because yeah. if that's what they have produced, this guy who came into Irish politics uh, at the vanguard of the Social Democrats, big outings on the then Vincent Brown show, talking about political reform and changing the system and making all the difference in the world to our little country with his fancy American degree. And I, I don't say fancy American because it is a fancy American degree. But I mean, apparently you can get them quite easily because he's come in and his signature achievement is putting fat labels on wine bottles. I mean, I mean, just go, go and hot, go away. Go 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 away and and hang your head in shame and and you know just just like let's let's have a, a a politician who comes in and just says you know what I'm not appointing a cabinet I'm just appointing a series of executives in the private sector with some experience uh, I don't yeah. know if that would be democratically uh, legitimate or not but it couldn't be much worse than what we have because the quality of politician in the country this idea for example this idea that he's he's rolled out this week I guarantee you it isn't his idea. 
guarantee you it isn't his idea. I guarantee it landed on his desk from a proposal or a white paper from Alcohol Action Ireland or some other NGO, flagged up the, the chain by some junior civil servant who sort of got a bee in their bonnet about alcohol action, uh, put it on the minister's desk and said, oh, we can do a good announcement about this and get you a bit of PR for it. I don't, I mean, I don't know uh, if, if Stephen Donnelly has a single policy in healthcare that's notable since he came in or a single notable thing that he's changed. What's he doing? What are we paying him for? He's not managing the system. The system, as far as I can see, is managing him. And I'm going to end the rant there, Sarah, because it's starting to feel a bit like a monologue. But I, I've, I've had it up to here with this clown because he is a clown. I, I mean, uh, Social Democrats, Fianna Fáil, um, all pr- transparently, as and Vincent Brown humiliated him, I think, publicly a few years ago when he asked him what caused him to join Fianna Fáil. Oh, yeah, it's just, it's just pure ambition to accomplish nothing, to accomplish nothing. I mean, just, I don't know, put, just pick somebody I, from the I, phone book and put them in charge. They couldn't do any worse. God, I miss Vinnie B. Do you? There was I just, do. there was some, honestly, my dad used to say to me, the entertainment I used to get out of sometimes was perverse. Like, it, there was some of the funniest Irish television television moments, as far as I'm concerned, happened on that show. Usually with his absolute, like, manic attacks on people who were, in fairness, full of shit. Or, of course, Joan Burton and Joan Burton and, um, what you call him, the Paul Murphy's mentor, the former socialist CD, um, Higgins, was it? I can't remember his name. Um, there was a great meltdown there. But, but the thing about Vincent was, I'm, I mean, it's a matter of record. I, I, I was a regular on that show, disagree with Vincent on almost everything. But you know what he did? He asked yeah. questions. He asked actually hard questions that people wanted answers to, and he demanded answers from them. And there is nobody else. I mean, I look at, I look at the political lineup on, on Virgin Media at the moment. I don't want to have a pop at anyone because they've got some good journalists, but they don't have anyone who politicians are afraid of. I mean, and no. I say with the greatest of respect to Gavin Riley and Richard Chambers and um, the other lady who, who works with them, but there ain't anyone in the government who sees those people coming and says, crap. <laughs> better yeah. be on my toes here. There just isn't. And I mean, that maybe it's a personality trait. Maybe it's just not their personality, but there's no one who they're afraid of. Um, yeah, and, and he, he, he raised the standard. He raised the standard. He Nobody went on that show without their Uber while you're done. He made mm-hmm. them less lazy and he made them, you know, you had to do your thinking and you had to know what you were talking about or he saw right through mm-hmm. it. And that's gone. And like the, the Stephen Donnelly thing, I mean, I have a couple of friends um, who are um, who call me around elections. So they're not particularly they vote, but they're not particularly um, um, politically like you know in tune, and they're not definitely not partisan. And they'd ask me, um, you know, who, who who do you think they've lived in different places? But at one point, one of them, um, she she lived in Bray, and uh, this is years ago now. And she rang me up and she had worked with me in consulting and she'd worked in Deloitte and Accenture and whatever. And she was like, I think I'm going to vote for this Stephen Donnelly guy. It was when he first ran. And she was voting for him entirely based on the fact that he had worked in McKinsey. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I think that that's a standard, you know, like of person like who's who will be good for politics. And she's like, what do you think? And, you know, because I'd be pretty honest, like I wouldn't. Obviously, like depending on where they live, sometimes it'd be a Fianna Fáil friend of mine and I'd like plug for that person if I could. But like a lot of the time, you know, I wouldn't, I'd be honest. You know what I mean? She said if this person is, she wanted to vote for somebody who was smart and she voted for him anyway. But it was 
almost entirely based on the word McKinsey on his mm-hmm. leaflets. And to say she is, um, she's actually moved back to Bray. She lived in England for a while, um, just about two years ago. And to say she's disappointed would be the understatement of the year. And her husband is a doctor and she's in consultancy and they're a high achieving kind of really bright people and they just don't get him now at all. But if, it's not just him, though. I mean, if you look, oh, across, the, if you look across the benches in the doll. I don't want to pick on people. I'm not going to say who isn't capable, but if you had to pick out genuinely capable people who you'd say agree, and I'm not talking about people you agree with, I'm saying genuinely capable people who you put them in a government department, you know they're not going to make a mess of it. They're actually going to run the department rather than have the department run them. You'd struggle to get to 10 out of 160. Now, there are 15 cabinet positions. Now, I look around the door, I, I, I I just don't see that many on government, with the proviso that a lot of people in Sinn Féin haven't been tested, right? So it's it's possible that, I don't know, Pierce Doherty will turn out to be a brilliantly capable minister, even though I disagree with him and everything. That's possible. But Yeah, it, and it, competence, competence, like it doesn't, you know, it doesn't follow. Like I've had, you know, when I was on the council and stuff, like I've come across people who are extremely competent from all parties, to be fair. Mm-hmm. And I think that like people, and and I can, I can, I'm like, you know, and you're around politics long enough as well. Like I'm mature enough at this point. I mean, you're very partisan when you're young, but like I'm mature enough at this point to be able to identify competence in somebody that I literally think they are wrong about every single thing that they think about the way the world should work. But I still think that they're competent. And, you know, I I have also gotten more and more respect for for ideology as I've gotten older, because I think that a lot of people pretend to have ideology. And then when it doesn't suit, they just completely change it. Whereas there are people in, even in the likes of Sinn Féin, who are very strongly held beliefs. And I have a certain amount of respect for that. Um, And if they're competent, I I can call it like I see it. But I think you're right. that There's a huge amount of, you know, people who and 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 this isn't like a particularly popular take, but I don't think I think that we went like a bit too far on the, you know, politics needs more young people and uh, actually it doesn't. Um, politics needs more experienced people. We have a few young people, fine. But, you know, a lot of people got elected really young as TDs mm-hmm. and um, not having any industry experience. I think in most cases, there are exceptions, but in most cases will ultimately hold you back eventually or not or having managed, paid or, wages. Or, or management experiences. I mean, I look at Roderick O'Gorman, for example, and Roderick O'Gorman is somebody who has been put in charge of a, of a major department, one of the most important departments in the state in terms of its role with children, its handling the refugee crisis, massive numbers of civil servants working under him. Now, I'm not making, I, I disagree with his immigration policy, but I'm not talking about his policy here. I'm talking about things like the provision of housing, the um, the contract for modular homes, all of that sort of stuff. Here's a guy who has never really run anything in his life, who is now suddenly got hundreds of civil servants working under him. If you haven't run anything, you haven't managed, you haven't managed two yeah. or three people in a small department, all of a sudden you're supposed to be on top of all that. It's a, it's 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 absolutely. I mean, how do we expect him to succeed? I mean, and, and let's yeah. assume that it was somebody we totally agreed with in that department, with the same, with the same experience profile. How is that person supposed to succeed? Um, I mean, basically, what happens is the department, the, the the experienced people at the top of the department, just enact their policies and tell the minister what to say, and the minister says, "Yeah, that's fine." That's that's what's happening here um, in large swathes of the government because we don't have people in politics with any experience. I mean, it used to be that you became a junior minister for a while before you entered the cabinet. 
And in yeah. recent years, there's this business of first-time TDs coming in and being appointed to run massive departments of the government. And we're wondering why the overall quality of service has gone down. I mean, there are multiple examples of that in, 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 in the last couple of decades. Um, and it's it's just not a recipe for a well well run country. But anyway, and it shows. But now we have. But now we'll have, um, you know, um, signs on the side of our wine. Probably no more wine from certain countries because they won't be arsed dealing with it. And um, you know, everyone everyone will be great. Everyone will be happier. The the country will work better because Nanny Nanny McStee. Uh, has fixed it for us. <laughs> the best thing is, of course, that 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 you know, it's another it's another attack on lower income people because if, for example, there are some French um, vintners and there will be who say the Irish market isn't important enough for us to degrade our wine by sticking labels on them, well, there will be those people who take their two week holiday in the south of France every year who just bring back their bottles of Bordeaux or Burgundy or what the case is. I think we know a couple of those. Um, but it's also, and, and, but it's also John, but it's also twofold, like. You're talking about like the calories and the you know the the health implications of wine. If you're if you're if you're of a certain sector of society, you already know it, mm-hmm. and you're drinking anyway. And if you have another sector of society, you already know it, and you don't care, and you're drinking anyway. And as I was tweeting about it during the week, like anybody like like I think about an alcoholic that I was in, um, not in my immediate family obviously, but I was in close proximity to as a kid growing up, and I just think about him. The very idea that a sticker on the side of a can or that a that a that um you know an increase in the price of alcohol was gonna make a ha, like a blind bit of difference to his drinking is comedic. Yep. Like it's comedic. All that would have happened in that situation is and he's this guy had children and they were not well off at all. All that happened in that situation or would have happened if minimal alcohol pricing and stuff like that came in when he was raising children would have been that his children would have had less money. Yep. Like it doesn't it doesn't do anything. For the actual like price for the actual societal costs of alcoholism. It's just a way to self tranquilize themselves that they've actually here's the problem. This needs something. This is something. Let's do it. Now we've done something. In the, it doesn't in the work. Of, in the part of the world where I currently am, I was checking this week, a packet of 20 Marlboro Light cigarettes costs €4.70. Euro and 70 cent. Um, now, in Ireland, I think they cost, because I, I don't I don't smoke them, but I, I, I think they cost something like €18, Euros, something like that, per packet. God, is that yeah. how much it is for cigarettes? Yeah, they've gone they've gone ridiculously expensive. Um, but oh if, I'm wrong, if I'm wrong about that, listeners can post in the comment underneath, but it's it's well over 15 quid anyway. Uh, and they also have images on the side of them, which which are designed to put you off. They have that image on on some packets with with like a clogged artery. There are other ones that suggest to men that if they smoke, certain parts of their body might go a little bit droopy at inopportune times. They they, they have all sorts of warnings <laughs> on them. Um, and I, I believe the smoking rate differential between Portugal and Ireland is not that big. It's a little bit higher uh, here in in Portugal, but not not eighteen euro and shocking ads higher is my point. Um, there's a puritanism in Ireland when it comes to this stuff, and we've talked about it in other shows, but this is just more of it. And it is this idea that we can puritan our way to a better society rather than actually governing the country efficiently and in the way most people would like to see it governed. Yeah. And the point is, none of them work. None of them work. None of them work. 
Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like no 18 year old like is going to not smoke because, you know, of, of a picture. No 40 year old housewife isn't going to drink wine because she's suddenly been informed that it's X calories, you know. And, and, and by the way, like I'm not a big drinker myself at all. And I'm very like, you know, Keith and I would talk about this a lot. Like I'm very um, kind of hyper vigilant about my relationship with alcohol and the relationship of people around me with alcohol and, and, and being aware of it and being careful. And mm. you know what I mean? Always kind of like my dad always used to say, and it's so funny because he was so wise, but when I was, you know, my late teens, early twenties, when I was, you know, my dad certainly wasn't letting me drink when I was under 18, but like when he was, when he knew that I was going out on a night out, my dad used to say, like, if you're upset or you'd had like, you know, let's say, I don't know, make it up. You failed three of your mocks, right? And uh, you were going out for a night out with your friends. My dad always used to say, like, sit you down and say, okay, like, think about what you're going to drink tonight. And he was the first, it was the first time that somebody drew a line for me between, uh, or like a correlation between your emotional like mm-hmm. well-being and 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 alcohol and i don't think a lot of a lot of young people have that drawn for them maybe probably more today because people are much more in tune with that kind of thing but back then like this is 20 years ago my dad was the first person i ever knew who drew that line between that you might drink excessively or more because you were upset and like that always stuck with me so it's not like i'm not you know aware of the day of the dangers of alcohol aware that the damage alcohol does i just don't think that any of these things work and worse they self they self tranquilize a government into thinking that they've done something about something that when they haven't the other thing is it's very individual i mean i am um, i i'm going to out myself now i would be i i would go through a bottle of wine a week right that's that's my alcohol intake normally like maybe a, a one glass a night kind of thing that's my my thing glass of red wine before bed um, and and according to some NGOs, I think that would make me a functional alcoholic. But I, really? I, I, yeah, I, oh, I, I, well, I don't know. But but like it's the the threshold for being an alcoholic or or drinking to excess is now very very low. Um, according to because I remember I know the figures to hand, but I remember reading a couple of years ago there was like one of these "Are you drinking too much?" things on the internet, oh, yeah. and I, I definitively was with my one glass of wine a night. But I can't remember the last time I was drunk. Genuinely, I, was little, I, I occasionally get a little bit tipsy. But I can't remember the last time I was drunk because I got very badly drunk when I was a teenager, as I think everybody does at some stage. Yeah. And what was, was the, so... What was the drink? Were you turned off for life? Mine was yes. cheap tequila. Mine was Irish mist. Oh God! <laughs> and to this day, the smell of Irish mist Sarah, yeah. makes me makes me wretch. Um, I, I didn't realize I, I I was about fifteen or sixteen, and I didn't realize just how strong it was. And I drank a rather large glass of it without anything in it. And um, it was the only time in my life I've ever passed out from alcohol. Oh, God, John, uh, and, that makes and, me feel sick even thinking about it. Yeah. Oh, it was it was awful. Um, but, you know, I had that experience. And, I've, uh, you know, like I say, I can count on the fingers of, 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 of two hands, probably the times in my life I've been properly drunk since and, and definitely not in the last decade or so. Well, um, I'm the opposite. So I would never, ever, ever drink during the week. Mm-hmm. I would never have one glass of wine. I would, it wouldn't interest me at all. I wouldn't think about it. Um, I'm not like I'd ha- my my peak thing is three drinks. Um, if we were going out for dinner or something like that. Now hen parties and stuff like that, which I've been laden down with this year for some reason. A lot of my friends, I just they're a different kettle of fish altogether. <laughs> yeah, but um, 
But in a, just a normal day to day in my life, like Keith and I would never drink during the week. And then if we went out for dinner, I'm kind of a fan of like the three drink buzz because I just don't think it gets any better after that. Yeah, you're right. Um, I'm not saying it, that that's always the way it ends, but I love three drinks. That's my thing. Um, so when I fill out those things, I'm never in the thing. But then I was at a hen last weekend and the weekend before and then one a month ago in Madrid. And you can like you can. You can call the real book, throw the real book <laughs> out the window. You know what I mean? Because they're just a completely different thing. But um, yeah, I just, for me, I, I don't, alcohol just doesn't really agree with me. My dad used to tease me and my brother because we used to be so ill, like if we drank too much that our grandma. It's, very, it's a very individual thing as well. I mean, there are some people who, who, who you know, to use, there are people who can hold their drink and there are people who can't. Um, totally. I've I've always been fortunate in that I've I've never gotten drunk easily either, which is a is 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 a good is a good it's it's in the pros of of being me. There are cons as well, which is that I you know, I eat too much. My my unhealthy relationship with food, not alcohol. Um, well, I just I would just suffer the next day. My dad always put it down to the fact that our grandmother was a Quaker. Um, that was his theory. <laughs> I would just have like an inordinately bad hangover relative to the amount that I drank. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, anyway, every, everyone else would be fine, and I'd be dying. Well, Stephen so, Donnelly is here to rescue you. Anyway, he'll he'll probably have well, a label. Thank on God, the thank God, those labels are coming because you know what? We'll never be hungover again. And the other thing is, you won't have money to spend on it because this week we had, and we're going to. I'm really proud of this transition. This week, you won't have money to spend. You won't have money to spend on it because you're not getting a tax cut. There was some chat during the week that you might get a thousand euro of a tax cut in the budget. And I might as well. I, I kind of had pre-spent it. I was looking at a PS5. Um, but it turns out that we're not going to get it. And Simon Coveney was out today apologizing to people if they were offended by the very idea of a tax cut for middle class workers at a time when there is rampant inflation, cost of living is rising, and the government has a massive, unprecedented budget surplus. So are you uh, relieved and proud that you're not going to be getting your thousand euro and it's all going to go to... Uh, the aforementioned wonderful health service and other public services that are run so well. Yeah, I'm just thrilled, John. Like really thrilled. I mean, it should he should be a really what he should be apologizing apologizing for is that accidentally a few TDs did a bit of thinking, and we know that that's not um part of the plan. That's not that's not allowed at the moment. Like, okay, fine, it's kite flying or whatever. But like, where how have we gotten to the point where the concept of a tax code is now offensive? Do you know what I mean? Like, people are, very... people are like, you know, the cost of living in Ireland has like skyrocketed for a lot of people and a lot of people are struggling. Like the idea of a tax code is not like completely absurd. And they act as if somebody has come out and suggest like they're so far out to sea on their own nonsense and like, especially Fina Gale. I mean, Fina, like, I don't even know who they are anymore. But the idea that they're apologising for even the idea, the concept of a tax code is really depressing. So I have a couple of theories about this. Right? I, I think it's very much about where we've gone as a society. So so I think there's there's a couple of very Irish traits, because obviously in the US or the UK or most English speaking countries, the tax code is a perfectly normal political proposition that people put forward. And they're, you know, people are happy to say, look, I pay taxes. I think I pay a little bit too much. The services aren't worth it. I'd like some of my money back, especially if the government has a service. In yeah. Ireland, I think there's a sort of embarrassment about, about even thinking about asking for a tax cut. First of all, there's this idea that if you, if you pay tax at all, 
certainly if you pay the higher rate, you're kind of so privileged that you don't need any extra money. Um, and you should be thankful for what you have and you should hand over even more of what you have to those who are less privileged than you. Uh, and it doesn't really matter if all the money that's being spent is actually making the thing worse. Like, so, for example, in housing, we're spending all this money building houses, retrofitting houses, fixing mica houses, uh, building um, homes for refugees, modular homes, all of which is, is driving the cost of building houses for everyone else in the private sector through the roof. So all the money you're giving to government might be making the problem worse. But even so, you should give even more because you're you're so privileged. Um, and I think there's a kind of embarrassment uh, because this, the, the, the culture is so dominated by this obsession with um, the uh, allegedly underprivileged. Um, there are people who are kind of not doing that well on decent incomes are almost embarrassed to put their hand up and say, I'm not doing that well either. I'd like some extra cash. There's yeah. So there's this kind of cultural idea that you're greedy if you want anything more once you earn above a, a, a certain income level. I don't know what that income level is, but I think it might be about 40, 45 grand a year. But um, John, like to put it this way, it's really si like really simple. I have a number of friends, double income, you know, let's say like would be like, say, 80 grand each, maybe even more. Right. Mm -hmm. And with interest rates and the cost of childcare and whatever, I know for a fact that those people's disposable income after all of those things are gone is the same as the disposable income of I, of people I know who are on the dole. Yep. Um, and 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 I can and like and I and literally I can name multiple people who are in that position, and their their wages their like the top end figure of their wages will be cited all the time by the likes of Sinn Féin as being kind of like, you know, like high earners. They're not. And there's 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 another thing here, which is this idea that a thousand euro in a tax cut is some kind of massive windfall. I mean, we yeah. live in a cost of living crisis. The idea that, I mean, look, everyone would, who, who would have been eligible for this tax cut would have, I'm sure, of course, welcomed a thousand euro. It's better to have a thousand euro than, than hand it to the government. There are things you can do with that money. Uh, there are bills you can pay. There's there's a, maybe two months of an electricity bill in the winter. You might be able to pay with that. But that's that's how much it is. It's it's a it's it's a couple of ESB bills. It's it's what I don't know about childcare. You'd be better be able to position that. But is it even one month's childcare? I mean, it's depends not. On, yeah, not probably not. Yeah, it depends on the number of kids you have. But it's not the it's not a vast sum of money that we were talking here about giving back to people who are paying taxes. And the idea that this has somehow some offense so offensive. I mean, to listen to some of the the commentary, and I'm thankful I'm away because I didn't hear uh, a lot of it, therefore I'm relatively calm. But what I did see of it would, would would just blow your mind. This idea that somehow it's a massive giveaway to the super rich <laughs> to give the people who are funding the state a grand extra year so that they can have some relief from a cost of living crisis at a time when the state is swimming in cash. I, mean, I don't know how we've ended up in this position where the people in the country, you've just given the example of two people on what are objectively high incomes, right? two, the, two yeah. people on 80 grand a year are earning a fair whack of money, but they're struggling. Yeah. And yet the yeah. state is swimming in cash. Um, so I, I think it, it, there's a question there about how the government are managing things. And, and well, it's, I, like, I just, it's not you say it's not an inordinate amount of money like the the children's allowance for example i think next month june is the month that they're doing a double payment of the children's allowance like 
my children's allowance is 400 euro for three kids, 420 or something. So it'll be 840. Like the other day, now I did a food shop in Little. You know, when you get to a point with a food shop where there is literally nothing left, like not even like it's this is an you know, this is a massive food shop, like there's nothing left, nothing at mm. all in the house. And it was 410 euro. Mm. And like, so that's that gone effectively. Like it's great and everything. Like that's the extra children's allowance just paid for that. So it's great and everything, but like for a household with three children, 400 euro of a food shop, like a thousand euro tax, like is, 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 is not mental. Like it's not, you know what I mean? Some mm-hmm. massive, huge windfall or whatever. And like, again, this isn't about, as you say, you know, like slicing up a small, uh, the loaves and the fishes and trying to divide it. We're awash with money. Yeah. The, the, uh, you know, the, this is the thing that gets me. I mean, if, if, the, the government is not short of resources. That's the one thing it's not short of. It, it has is projecting, I think, a 26 billion euro surplus over the next three years. That's an astonishing amount of extra money that it has. Um, I don't know what the costings for this one grand tax cut for middle income earners was, but it was it was a fraction of a fraction of that. Um, and and the, in return for that massive surplus, what are we going to get? I mean, if they're sensible, obviously they'll pay down some debt. No problem with that. Uh, if they're also sensible, they'll put some of it into a pension fund. No problem with that. But they will increase spending by several billions of euro over the next couple of years ahead of whenever the general election is. I don't have any confidence that that extra spending is going to make any difference because it will go as public sector spending always does on higher wages. Um, some of it will go on on, on backfilling um, some sectors who are still um, on sort of crow park cuts and so on and so forth. Um I don't think public services are going to get better. I mean, we talked a lot about the competence of the people running the show. I just don't have any confidence that that money is going to deliver me the same value in the government's pocket as it would deliver in mine. That's the thing. I mean, I, I don't think that if you give people a thousand, who's going to spend that thousand euro better? Is the government going to spend it better or are you going to spend it better? And I'm fairly sure the answer for most people in the country is I would spend that better than the government could spend it in terms of delivering a better quality of life for me and my family. But, yeah, and or, apparently or, or, or again, like, again, like, there's an absence of kind of ideas, you know what I mean? Like, if there is, if we are a wash of money and, you know, like, come up with some ideas of, you know, s- schemes or saving schemes or whatever. I don't know. I'm not, it's, you know, I'm not paid to think uh, uh, of ideas, but like, there's just a kind of a, like, okay, fine. If you don't want to throw it into a tax cut or whatever, come back and say, we're going to do this, something different. Improve it's hospital just waiting rooms. Just do something. Do something yeah, that, new that chairs. would yeah that would make the country just a little bit more comfortable for the people living in it. That'll make us feel like we like like we matter to the people running it. Because I don't feel like I matter to the people running the country. I feel like the people who matter to them are um basically an activist class that wants more money yeah. for this, that, and the other. Um I I don't feel like you know, people, you know, to use a Michael Healy Ray term, I just don't think they care about filling the potholes on people's roads or delivering the broadband or doing the things that people want to do or want to see done to improve the, the quality of their lives. Anyway, we've gone a, a good long while. And before we go, I wanted to talk a little bit, if you don't mind, about the uh, US presidential race because it's heating up. And mm-hmm. um, Ron DeSantis hopped in this week. And I have to say, I'm a massive fan. I, I really hope he wins, but I'm not sure he will. 
do you know much about him or have what what have your impressions been no i i i don't know my dad has been filling me in a bit about the disney thing um mm. but i don't know i don't really know much about him i like i just have this kind of morbid fascination with trump where i find him perversely funny at times um but i haven't really checked into this because um i don't know much about ron DeSantis and i find joe biden and whatever Kamala the whole thing is so unbelievably annoying to watch and fake and whatever so no I've I've given it a break tell me why do you like Ron DeSantis I like Ron DeSantis because well number one uh, as opposed to the other two contenders he's young he's he, he's not far off our age I think he's about 45 he's got a young family um I like him too because he is he's fearless so this is a guy who who literally has um, stood up for one of the biggest corporations in the world and said, no, the fact that you 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 are the ma- biggest employer in our state doesn't give you the right to dictate and interfere in what our education policy is going to be, which is something that no Irish politician would ever do. If Facebook no. threatened to, to, to cut jobs in Ireland unless we implemented some sex ed policy, our government would bend over. DeSantis said no. Um, I like His record on COVID, I think, was absolutely outstanding, where he was the one not the one, but one of the very few politicians globally to say, actually, no, I don't think the the whole permanent lockdown thing is is making sense. Um, I'm going to keep my state open. Um, he said this week in relation to the Disney thing, he probably made them more money than anybody else because he kept Disney World in Florida open during COVID when everyone else would have closed it. Um, I like his attitude to the what he calls the war on woke, where he says, no, I, I don't care if it offends you. There are only two genders. There are, and we're not going to teach kids in school that there are more than that. Um, I like his attitude to sex education where he said, you know what, I'm not going to ban any books, but we're not having books in schools teaching uh, 11-year-olds how to give oral sex. That's not happening. Um, I love the way and, this is kind of like, like, oh my God, he's such a pioneer with all these wild crazy ideas like let's not teach 11 year old girls how to do the best bj like jesus yeah that that, that's it um i i i i I, I like that i like that he um has unlike any american presidential candidate since i think the first george bush actually served in the armed forces so he has some credibility on foreign policy when he's going to send troops somewhere unlike trump or biden or any of their predecessors as i say back to george hw bush he actually served in uniform and risked his life for his country. And I just like his no bullshit. I had you. And the other thing is I'm tired of Trump. <coughs> I, I know you find him very entertaining. I am tired of the bullshit. I, I just I you know I, I, that's I, funny I, you should say that because I said to my dad earlier on, I was like, you know, I, I just there's something that I find kind of weird. Like he just keeps on giving. And my dad was like, no, I think people are getting tired of it now. My thing about Trump is this. I mean, I go back to 2015. I'll hire the best people. I'll build a wall. I mean, name one person who he hired who he hasn't subsequently turned around and said, oh, they're incompetent, they betrayed me. You know, uh, they stole the election. Who stole the election? You were the president of the United States. I mean, he, he's coming in to run a government that he says he couldn't run, that he had four years to do all these things that he couldn't do, so give me four more years to do them properly this time. I mean, it, what, what what is this, a second chance for slow learners? Go away. You're old, you're doddery, you're 78. You, by the way, I, I don't care. I, I know it's unpopular on the right to say these things, right? I know it's unpopular. There'll be people listening and saying that I sound like a liberal. I don't care. I hate his attitude to women. I absolutely hate the grabbing by the you-know-what crap. I, 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 I don't care if you think 
the trial he just went through in New York was kind of a setup or whatever. I heard some of the things he said on tape in that trial about women and two lawyers. I'm by no means a feminist, and there are a lot of people out there who are feminists who would who would say that I'm the opposite of feminist. But you don't you don't speak like that. I remember a time when people on the right allegedly were for moral values and standing up for and being being upstanding yeah. citizens. Uh, Trump is a disgrace. Trump is a disgrace. I mean, his his attitude to uh, I mean, he's not an example to anyone. Would you tell your kids, look at Donald Trump, the president of the United States, that's who you should be like? No, you wouldn't. No. I mean, no. we can do better. I think DeSantis is better, and that's why I hope he wins. Now, I don't think he will. I think ultimately, <laughs> I think there are too many people in America who just think Trump is funny, haha, and also like, you know, they, they like that the liberals hate him, therefore he must be good. But so, do you think that there's enough of them? I don't think Trump will win. Oh, I don't think he'll win the general election. I don't think he has a hope of winning the general election. I think if he is nominated again, Biden will get the most undeserved second term of any president in my lifetime. But I think he is a fairly good chance of winning the Republican nomination because I think there are an awful lot of people who have become very popular as a result of being big Trump defenders who will who fear losing that. I think there's a Trump industry. I think there are all sorts of reasons to wonder why, to to to, to suspect that the Trump cult is deeply enough ingrained in the Republican Party that he'll be nominated this time. And if he loses, they'll say it's rigged. And I wouldn't be surprised if he runs again in 2028. Um, because it's, it's, <laughs> John, <stop>. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm too pessimistic. And I'm sure there are oh, people I mean, who listen to this podcast. Surely if he loses, it will, it'll just be the end then. Like maybe we, you know what I mean? If he loses again against Biden, maybe that'll be just the end. I mean, these people aren't going to live forever. Well, that's the other thing. That, that, that's the that's the other thing. The other thing, by the way, is if you are somebody on, uh, who's interested in American politics and what and thinks it's an important, because most of the culture war nonsense we see in Ireland comes from the states, right? So, if you're somebody who wants to see um, a, a pushback against that in the US, then you really should want a Republican president who's going to be able to serve the yeah. next eight years rather than just four. Because if Donald Trump yeah. somehow did win the presidency, he'd be term limited. He can only serve two terms. He's already done one. He'd be out in four years. I would take the 45-year-old who's done so much already to push back against sort of what I'd call out-of-control left-wing ideas rather than the doddery 78-year-old who doesn't seem to know how the government works, was entirely ineffective as president in his first term and spends his time being an example to children of what not to be when you grow up. So... You know that that's where I stand on that, and I know there's that a description of Joe Biden or, or, that, uh, or well, Donald well, there you go. I mean, you know, if you said said one of them was sniffing children, you'd be hard pressed <laughs> to know which I was talking about, wouldn't you? Anyway, we leave it there unless you have a rebuttal. Children. On that note. <laughs> on that note. On that note, folks, thank you very much for listening. If you disagree with me, and I'm sure there'll be many of you who disagree with my last point there about the U.S. presidential race, let us know. But as ever, thank you for listening. We're so happy with the growth of listenership in recent weeks. That's been fantastic to see. I'll be back in the country and back writing pieces for Gripped next week. Some that will cheer some of you and annoy others. But I'll be back anyway. And uh, until then, that was the week that really was. <laughs>